<laughs> you need to speak some Creole. You need to speak. Can you can you converse in some like in Creole for me? Like in yeah. <laughs> you want me for speak like Creole? I beg, speak and make we hear what's in the tongue. <laughs> what's your answer about now? Oh my goodness! Stop it! <laughs> I can't, I can't, I, I think this is the same feeling people have when they hear me speak Korean, because it, it, it's just, it's just weird. <laughs> keep speaking, keep speaking, let me keep hearing. Oh my goodness. Oh I don't goodness. <laughs> I don't know. Wow, wow, wow. Hello everyone, I am Sibyl, and this is The More Sibyl Podcast. This is the More Civil Podcast, a podcast about culture, cultural nomads, designed for blacks and Asians, and those who love them. I'm your host, More Civil, Nigerian-born, US-educated, Korean-speaking, struggling intellectual. Wow. Um, I have a very important guest, and I wanted to try my best to introduce them in their native language, which is Korean, which I've been studying. So, Onunawa Hamke, Junyo Hansonim Imida, Sushi, Anyahasayo. So his name is um, Sue, and he's currently a student at Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine, and he's pursuing a dual degree in medicine and a PhD in microbiology. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Wow, he's a genius. I just asked him that in Korean. He's Korean. He was born in England, but wait for it. He was raised in Syria, and I have a lot of questions about that. His parents work as missionaries, and combined with unforeseen conflicts and disasters, he's had to move around you know, quite a bit. For now, though, he's in Michigan where he's studying and he hopes to go back abroad. Tomani, um, Sogehejusayo, did I miss anything out? Nope, you did well. Tadasayo. All right, well, that's how I that. So, wow, let's even start from the beginning, you know. Um, Korean, born in England and raised in Syria alone. Otoke, otoke. Okay, yeah, so I could talk about that. Um, So my parents are missionaries, and um, back in 1994, they first went to England um, Mm -hmm. to work as missionaries there with a group that they knew. Um, But while he was there, he got into contact with um, his old mentor, a pastor at his local church back in Korea, and he was working as a missionary in Sierra Leone. So they got into contact, and my dad has always had, like, an interest to go to um, somewhere in Africa. When he got to visit his mentor in Sierra Leone, he just thought he had a calling to wow. be a missionary there. So in 1996, 1997, about when I was two, I was born in England in 95. And then when I was yeah. about two, I moved to Sierra Leone. And I grew up there ever since. But then, um, if some of you may know, like during in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, yeah, the Diamond yeah. War happened. So we had to evacuate yeah. a lot. So I lived in um, Guinea and also Ghana and also oh. But then um, we moved around, but eventually came back and we stayed yeah. in Belgium for a while. But then I also got to live in Senegal because there was a boarding school for missionary kids there. It was an American school. So I was able to live in Senegal for a little while, then coming to the United States for college. Wow. And now, so yeah, that's my like brief journey around West Africa and now the States. Okay. Chonun. I'm very jealous because you've been you've been to many places, many countries in Africa that you know I think most people would have probably dreamed of being, but they've never been. That's very very impressive. Himdurajin and I wasn't as stressful. It was. I mean, I think growing up, it was one of the hardest things. Um, yeah. I think a lot of kids in my situation wanted stability. You want one home, one place with friends that you knew all your life, and a lot of people I knew had that. 
I guess I was one of those that never had it. So in a way, I kind of missed out in that experience. But then now, after being grown and then being out in the field, I guess, and having to look for jobs or like, for, for my, my case, having to apply to grad school and the experiences and the skills that it gave me and they had has worked out in such a benefit that I never imagined it to be. Hmm. I want to imagine that one of the benefits would be the ability to just adjust quickly to the environment. Uh-huh. Definitely. Yeah. Weird. Really good. Really good. So you are the quintessential taught culture kid moving around and you know, you're Korean, you grew up in England and then you were plucked away and then spent a chunk of your life traveling to many countries in, in Africa. So what would you say really helped you adapt to that life? Because you, you seem to really enjoy it because hearing from you, I know it's something you still want to keep doing. Mm. I think when I was a child moving around, when I was in that situation, I didn't enjoy it as much. It was really hard, honestly. I mean, having a family around, I think at least having that, having that consistent was yeah. good. But then um, once I hit 12, actually, and we went off to Senegal, our family kind of got split because me and my sister were in um, board, boarding school. And then my mm-hmm. brother was back with my parents. But then my sister graduated soon and I was alone. And actually, at one point in time, my whole family were in different continents. Or, oh, wow. Yeah, like my parents were in one, I was in another, my brother was in another, my sister was in another. And there were many times we've lived in different countries at the same time. So it was a little bit hard because it's uh, my friends will always talk about seeing their family, you know, and seeing, knowing, having friends from back home and stuff. And it was just not something I really had. And, you know, family... Yeah. Nowadays, I make we make the effort and we have more means to see each other now that some of us work and actually earn money. But back then, it was really hard. But I think the one thing that actually, that kept me, I guess, from becoming a mess, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just the constant like encouragement and support from the people yeah. around me. So like everywhere I met, went, I made sure I found a community that was very supportive or like a very encouraging and like not community, not like a big community, but like it could be like a family that just kind of like drew me in. So I I have like host moms and host dads around the world, or I have like, you know, another family that's basically like my family and they see me Mm -hmm. like there's basically, and I think that just really helped. Like, and that has helped me like network and basically grow of family from just what the traditional family is. Very good. Very good. Um, so I have a question. Of all the countries you've been to or do you resided in, resided in Africa, which one would you say is very dear to your heart and why? I'll say Sierra Leone and Senegal. Well? So Sierra Leone, I mean, that's where I spent most of my life in. And I went mm. to elementary school, middle school and Sierra Leone and a lot of my early adolescence was there so I think key things that I learned to live a lot of important experiences you know that you acquire were done there so I have a lot of memories there they were not all that great because you know while I was growing up there it was still a very um challenging yeah. environment yeah. yeah yeah and you know I still have crazy stories of just seeing tanks or school being canceled and like you know tear gas being wow. fired at our school wow. <laughs> and so but those experiences kind of made me and shaped me into who I am today. And I think that's the same reasoning for Senegal. Even though I was, I mean, I was there for four or five years, but in that time I met some of the most important people in my life now. And like people who have influenced like who I, who I choose to be and who, what I want to do. So, yeah. I've actually been to Sierra Leone before. I was telling you that earlier, right? When they yeah. in 2010 for a medical missionary trip. Oh, wow. I think about two weeks. It was eight years ago. And I remember we flew to Liberia and they took the ferry from uh, Lungi. Yeah. And then we stopped at Freetown, what they call Freetown, but the native yeah. to call it Freetown. And then we took a 16-hour ride from Freetown to Koindu. Koindu was our base. And it was an eye-opening experience because... It was my first time going on such a large scale uh, medical missions. And it wasn't just even 
I shouldn't even call it medical missions because we had other people as well. The the mission was about up restoring hope and you know the people they still stayed with me till today. Of all the mission trips that I've been to, I'll say the one to Sierra Leone really impacted my life way more than the other ones. Oh wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, they, were so, they had nothing. They had like most of them didn't have anything, but they would always come early in the morning with like baskets of fruits in front of our house, and yeah. they would want us to take everything. And we're like, no, we don't need it. I was like, no, you have to take it. You can't say no. You know, they were very thankful. They were very cooperative, and you know, it was a really, really learning time for because I was, you know, in my twenties then. I was young, and yeah. it really helped me reshape my focus. Like. You know, about you know things I thought I needed in life versus things I just wanted to have just because you know. Right. So that was that was that was surreal. Oh yeah, oh, I know exactly what you mean. They have so little, but still they find hope and happiness within that, and it just tells you so much about what life is really about. Very very true, and I think for me, I don't know if that also um, resonates with you. Living here in the U.S. I do have moments where I get caught up in the first world problems, like, oh, my phone isn't charging the way I wanted to charge, or, oh, my screen just broke. But I think sometimes the Nigerian in me kind of snaps me back to consciousness, like, you know what, what are you complaining about? Like, are you kidding me? Like, snap out of that. So I don't know if that's also helped you, you know, reframe your mindset about wants versus needs, given your very um, extensive background as a third culture kid. Yeah, no, but that's definitely true. And it's, it's really weird, right? So, like, um, for me, adjusting to life here in America has been... Yeah, at first, yeah. it was really difficult because I just kind of came, like, fresh from the con- the continent. Yeah. And it was just really hard because it's like, you know, things things that were important to me were just kind of ignored upon here. And people were complaining and just, like, so ungrateful for so many things that, you know, mm. I would think I would have... And like so happy to even have a piece of when I was growing up there. Like, you know, basic example, warm water. I've never had warm water growing up until I visited <laughs> Korea, or until I visited America. And that was just an amazing experience for me. So like for me, to I mean, nowadays I have hot water in my apartment whenever I want. But to yeah. me, it's still amazing that I get hot water. And instantly, you don't have to like put the kettle on and, you know, boil the water and then have you have right. with that. No, like yeah. for us, it's charcoal. You boil it on the charcoal. Oh, really? Charcoal? Oh, my goodness. You put it on the pot. <laughs> And then you burn the charcoal, you wait for the charcoal to boil. And then after like two, three hours, that's when you can take a hot shower. But then you have to mix it with the cold water so that you save the hot water. Oh no. my goodness. The African in you just came out a moment ago. Like you actually oh, yeah. just no, went I'm, African. I'll try. Keep on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, 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 really impressed. Really impressed. Really impressed. I was like, wait, am I still talking to Sue? Like, am I talking to Sue, an African, another African? But <laughs> that, uh, got, that got me there. That got me there. So, wait, adjusting to the US, I bet that was like another different, like the cultural shocks and just the adjustments you had to make. So, I think one of the biggest lessons I had to learn was like um, empathizing with others. Yeah. So I thought I was pretty empathetic until I came here and then I listened to some of the things. I, I mean, my friends, some of them complained about, you know, boy problems, girl problems, <laughs> or, you know, like not getting something. Yeah. And I just kind of was like, wait, well, is it that important? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, yeah. but then like, I was like, who am I to judge? Like, yeah. this is what's important for them. So for them, it's learning yeah. to appreciate what they value even though I might not agree, I guess, like yeah. learning to empathize still was a, a big um, thing for me. And I guess one of the hardest things for me here was also just like the lack of um, appreciation. Hmm. You want to expand on that? So what's the best way to explain this? I think they take so many things for granted. Oh, I see. I see. And so they're not that grateful for what they have now. And don't get me wrong, like, there are, I do like nice things. I won't deny that. Like, you can, actually, you can't even ask Adrian. <laughs> I do like <laughs> things, you know, yeah. which surprises a lot of kids from here. They're like, how do you know those things? I'm like, yeah, Africa, just because Africa seems poor doesn't mean we don't have nice things, dude. <laughs> 
thank you for being an like, ambassador, okay? Like, with their five-story houses and their swimming pools. I don't think they're suffering, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you see in National Geography, that's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> but it was really hard because, you know, I came from Sierra Leone. And there, you know, um, a lot of things that are important there is like malaria, infectious diseases, you know, mm-hmm. um, domestic abuse like inequal education for between girls and boys and like the patriarchy or like um even hard subjects like rape and other yeah like what they consider big issues to me among my friends like it was hard for me to understand them as big issues so like i think that also goes back to the empathy so it was hard for me to try and be like understanding and a good friend because I just didn't get what was so important about these things that they valued when to me I could think of so much worse problems worse things and yeah. that could be a problem in itself but it's it's not necessarily wrong it's just trying to be in that moment and having to be empathetic towards that person and I do have an example in mind so I have a friend whose dog was dying and mm-hmm. she told me all the things that was happening to the dog like they had she had to catheterize it for like three times a day and it had cancer and to me just the easy solution was just to put it to sleep and the male she kept lamenting to me and I kept looking at her like really like are you still gonna keep spending money on the dog but along the line I thought to myself this dog has been with her for many years I mean that's like a companion it took a while for me to at least put myself in her shoes because the rationale African in me was like just taking away money that you could use for something else you know so I yeah. do understand what you mean yeah I understand that so you've been around you've been around you've lived around what does home mean to you home is where I make myself comfortable <laughs> very cheesy <laughs> I mean you know there is that Korean word mm-hmm. which means I mean, it's basically like home, but it's like where you belong, right? Mm-hmm. And if you ask, if when Koreans ask me where my Kohyang is, I yeah. say Sierra Leone, because that's truly where my heart is. Your home, like, you know, if I ask you where's your hometown, people will be like, oh, it's this city or it's this town. But it also has that like added weight of that. It's like where you like truly your heart belongs, mm. like where you belong to. And for me, that is Sierra Leone. But I think traveling around a lot, longing for just one place, and in many cases that I cannot go back to for a while, just made it very depressing and hard. So what I learned to do and what what I ended up doing was making a home everywhere I went or everywhere I settled down. So right now... Like, my Kohyang is still Sierra Leone, but my home yeah. now is Michigan. This is where I go to school. This is where my pet hedgehog Colette lives. This is where I have, like, all my stuff in my apartment. Like, like your heart is still in Sierra Leone in a way. Yeah, and it will never leave that place. But oh, wow. now home, you know, I look forward to coming back here in Michigan. It's my place and I've decorated it. I've invested in it. And I know no matter what, it's going to be like something I can feel comfortable and I can be me. Yeah. It has elements of me and a part of me from around the world all over the house. So. Oh, good. I think that's one of the um, core feature or attribute of a, a third culture person, your, your idea of home is just very fluid because you're neither here or there. There's a longing to be connected back to where you feel connected, but you find yourself due to circumstances away from that place. So you try to make a home for where, wherever you find yourself currently, but you know your heart is, you know, somewhere away from where you are. Yeah. And I think and that's like, a good thing because then you learn to take advantage of the present. You really being mindful. Yes, yes. Being yeah. mindful. Yes, yes, yes. Very good. So currently you're doing a dual degree in medicine and a PhD in microbiology. Yes. Shigan, Omana, Namayo, how much time is it? <laughs> so I've already done two years and I have six more years left. No, 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 no. It's too long. Yeah, very long. Ah, 
I'm a team. Hang on a bit, Good luck. All the very best. <laughs> but um, what is that like? Like, what's school like for you? What do you find the most difficult? Because I don't have a medical degree, but I do have a PhD. And I can tell you that itself is very difficult. Now you're combining a medicine degree with a PhD. Oh, my goodness. Michesa. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's very challenging. But I don't know. I think one of the, I think the biggest difference is that I came in with a very different mindset and goals. So my goal of going into medicine is very clear and it has stayed the same and nothing will change my mind about it. Uh-huh. I mean, the reason I, the PhD part was kind of unexpected, but as I yeah. did under so that's I'll tell you that story as we move on. But I chose medicine mainly because I saw a lot of suffering in Sierra Leone, and I even lost a very close friend when I was young to uh, sorry to hear. No, that's fine. To a secondary infection in a hospital from a government wow. hospital. His wow. went through surgery. Surgery is fine, and you know you think surgery is a dangerous part. No. It's not an uncommon story, especially in countries like Sierra Leone, Guinea, where the health infrastructure is very poor. Yeah. It's not uncommon for people to die for, because of the horrible healthcare system and the lack of resources and like hacking in the environment. And then we also lost a lot of people in our villages that my parents worked in because, you know, they just didn't have the access to healthcare. Yeah. You know, they don't have, they earn, back when I was growing up, they were maybe earning 2 to $3 per person a day. And you have to feed them for 10 with that. And then a ride to the nearest hospital is $10. And it's like, and to see the doctor is like another 20 And even though it's just like $30, $50, it's $30, $50 that they don't have. So just seeing a lot of the loss in life, just seeing like how important, I guess, healthcare is for mm-hmm. someone motivated me to pursue healthcare, and mm-hmm. it was just appalling when I came, visited the United States and like or I went to visit relatives in Korea just seeing how easy to and cheap it is to just see a doctor and get fixed mm-hmm. for something that you know you would die for in Sierra Leone and that just kind of really shaped me so like I have this like pretty set I guess um, motivation to go into medicine. And I really do want to become a physician to be able to go back and contribute. Like, I don't think I will be able to move back completely and be a full-time doctor, but there are a lot of hospitals in the U.S. and in Europe where they work with hospitals and research universities in West Africa where they make partnership and they go and train new doctors there or, like, they go and also work in that hospital in West Africa and help out and teach. And that's really something I want to do too. And realistically, I don't think it's possible for me to go full-time over there, but I do want to get involved where I can contribute yeah. in making the healthcare infrastructure and basically health services much more accessible for everyone back home. Wow. So I think the mindset of me wanting to do that has also kind of made it hard because um, I don't have as much lingering as a lot of students when they come to, I mean, a lot of medical students that I meet come into med school knowing that they want to help people. Yeah. But um, not that many know exactly how they want to help people. You it's already like, know how you want to help. Yeah, and I think that's a very different, and the thing is, um, it's like I already know what I want, so like yeah. I'm not going to waste time with things that I that has not what I want. What an advantage you have. You, um, you're definitely ahead of the curve. Yeah. I mean, I hear that a lot, but it also can be hard because it's like, you know, sometimes people don't understand why I'm not interested in certain things because it has nothing to do with what I want to do, right? And so um, for me, it's great because, you know, I know what I want to do. I'm not going to waste time doing things. But, but then it can come off as like, Apparently, it comes up to some people as like being snobbish, yeah, or like condescending. But the thing is, like, by me saying no or saying that I'm not really interested, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's just it just has nothing to do with like what I want to do, and it's like there are other priorities ahead. And especially, I think being a dual degree student is like there's an advantage and a disadvantage. 
the advantage is that I'm, I mean, I love research. I got hooked on research during undergrad, during undergraduate yeah. research by my professor in organic chemistry. And just like being, you know, I'll be able, like just the idea of being able to physically help the sick as a physician, but also as a scientific researcher, be yeah. on the forefront of developing therapy or even researching or like characterizing diseases, which, you know, like <laughs> there are so many, I don't know about, um, other countries, but at least in Sierra Leone, that there were so many times that, you know, people got sick and we're like, we don't know what this is. And even some doctors would be like, we don't know exactly what this is either. And all we had to do was just alleviate the pain as much as we can until the person gets better or passes away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I mean, that's why I chose to do a dual degree. And then, but then that didn't get finalized until I actually, I decided that back in 2014, when I went to Sierra Leone and that's when the Ebola outbreak was spreading from Guinea to Sierra oh. Leone. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But like, it just felt really sad because I just felt helpless. Yeah. We couldn't do anything. I mean, all I could do was like, so after church and after like, you know, Friday service or like, you know, Wednesday service, um, my parents would want me to talk to um, the village elders about, you know, what a virus is, what a bacteria is, like why we can't see these things, how things spread, you know, how to protect ourselves from the Ebola and other. Yeah. And I guess like, I really do like educating, but I think the response and to like how, like what those things are kind of also shaped my decision to pursue a research career. Because yeah. the first thing I heard was someone says witchcraft. I was mm. like, what are you mm. talking? You know, to them, they, a lot of the elders, a lot of the people that I were talking to were at most maybe junior secondary, so middle school, like, you know, um, educated. A lot of them can't read. A lot of them weren't that educated. And so to explain the concept of a bacteria virus, something you can't necessarily see doing, and, you know, have the ability to spread. Yeah, it's very hard. And for them, like, I mean, some people, like some people, I'm not saying everyone was like, but some people actually like accepted it and were willing to learn more about it. But there were some people that were very just turned away from that idea and let that fear dictate. And they chose to rule it out as witchcraft and then in the end not listen. And you know, that ends up becoming a very big consequence, you know, if you don't follow certain like safety measures. And so I think that was a wake up call because at that point I was in college and I guess I I, I was already kind of like distanced from Sierra Leone, but that was a wake up call in like, the reality of the education and health infrastructure in that country mm-hmm. and just kind of re like rebooted the fire I have to go back and help and like serve people there. Oh wow. Well I'm really, really proud of your your hearts for Africa and I hope that when you're done, however you want to help and just that dream you've had, go back and do something to improve the healthcare system worldwide in Sierra Leone. I wish you the very best. And thank you so much for having that heart for Africa. No, I mean, it's my home too. <laughs> very true, very true. Um, so, um, so for people like you who have lived in countries or are currently living in countries that they weren't born into due to many reasons, like in your case, being a missionary kid and all that, what kind of suggestions do you give them as far as adjustment? Try for those that are not having a good time about it. <laughs> Buy something that you can rely on consistently. Hmm. So for me, it's, um, for me, it was prayer. Hmm. I mean, I won't say I was like, by everyone's definition, the best Christian out there. I will not say that <laughs> at all. But um, I think in the end, having something consistent, like, you know, every night I can pray. I mean, my parents were missionaries, but I chose to be Christian. I actually like was able to try out different religions before I chose one. But yeah. Just something about the consistency. So, like, you know, even though I was away from my parents, you know, it's something that still was there for me. I mean, funny, but that's another reason I like Starbucks. Why? Well, my, my friends think I like to be bougie and buy Starbucks, but that's not it. But <laughs> anywhere I go in the world that has a Starbucks, oh, I see, it I see. it's the same. 
I have one that I get, and it will taste the same. If they, it doesn't taste the same, I make them remake it. I'm like, uh-uh, four pumps of this. <laughs> oh, yeah, making this the way I want it. But I think it's really important because a lot of change can be very stressful. I remember when I was young, I really wasn't happy many of the time, you know. And But, you know, it's, you know it's stressful for your parent, and you don't want to add on to your parents' burden. So I think a lot of TCKs have this tendency to just kind of cave in or like, you know, keep our emotions and true feelings in and just create this perception like, yeah, traveling is great. Yeah, it's awesome to know these languages. It's awesome to be this because, you know, a lot of the things we do and a lot of the things we are, that we have and that we are are celebrated by others. Because of that, I think we feel guilty about sometimes complaining or pointing out, you know, the sad realities of that kind of a life. But I think that's when it's good to have something consistent you can hold on to and also consistent friends. Some of my best friends, yeah, like they're also TCKs Mm. and I've met them from all over the world. And some of them are not even TCKs. They They were traveling the world through my experiences. But then having them, like, even though we're separated, you know, I, some of them I talk to still every day. I actually was talking to one of them right before I was talking to you. Oh, really? <laughs> like, yeah, like, I think finding something consistent and reliable, like, I mean, and it's going to be a process. Like, I didn't meet this friend and they, we didn't become best friends. And, like, you know, I wasn't, like, you know, praying every day out of the bat. It was a process, yeah. you know. But if you make the right investment, I think the... <laughs> the product will be worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. And another question is, is this, if you could do it differently, what would you do differently? If you could change something about your whole experience, what would it be? Huh. <laughs> That's a heavy question. Okay. <laughs> I'll wait for you. I think as of now, I wouldn't change anything because all the experiences I had the good, the bad, the horrible, the evil. In the end, they made me into who I am now mm. and gave me the passion to like pursue the dreams that it made for me. And at the like, it gave me the dreams I wanted to pursue. It gave me the reason to pursue. It gave me a passion. It gave me skills to understand from people like now I can just anyone at the airport from anywhere. I can talk to them. I actually didn't know about this, but one of my friends told me one of the nicest things about me is that um, no matter what, they don't expect judgment or discrimination. And that's a big thing. Yeah. If you're safe with you. Yeah, they feel very safe and comfortable, you know, and that, and I never realized that, but it's true because the thing, like I never realized until my friend pointed out, like Sue, like you don't change who you are based on mm. someone, but yeah. you do adapt to who they are to make them feel comfortable, and that's one of the like the biggest things, like advantages that you have, and I guess I never thought about it, but. Ever since she pointed that out, I was like, that is true. Like, I guess it's a skill I acquired just to survive. <laughs> no, I, it's not a skill I acquired growing up in different countries just so that I fit in and I don't get judged. But in the end, it became a skill that I that is a great advantage of to who I am and to like basically what I do in work or in like my social interaction on a general basis or just like anything. Very good. I've asked all the questions I have. Um, do you have anything to say? Han Marisa? Oh, I'll just kind of explain on top of something I said before. It's, I, I think barely any of us have ever asked for a TCK lifestyle. It's something that you're born into or something that's decided for you because of your parents' job or something in your family, you know? I, 
In a way, it's a privilege, but it does come with its downsides. Everything comes with its downsides. But the unique thing about being at TCK is that there aren't that many people that are going to understand the downsides of it. And you you realize you have strengths and you have all these advantages that you never realized you have. You had. Mm. Yeah, you had it. If you're one of those people, I guess, that are looking into starting a TZK lifestyle, it's not going to be easy. I, I, will, I mean, technically, my parents immigrated, you know, they started like kind of like a TZK lifestyle, but in their 20s, well, in their 30s, basically. Oh, wow. And yeah, they moved abroad when they were late 20s and early 30s, and now they live there still. And they're in their 50s, almost reaching their 60s. And it's going to be a very different, but like I remember growing up and just seeing the pain because, you know, as you grow older, languages come harder. Yes. <laughs> My mom is super smart, but, you know, she still doesn't sound like a native. And, you know, like a lot of us with immigrant parents will know there are a lot of things that, you know, because they they already developed everything. <laughs> they yeah. are established and they did that somewhere else. And so I'll say just... Then share with your kids if you have kids. Because, I mean, sometimes I feel like, you know, parents will say it's not something you talk about with your children. But, like, a lot of the time your kids are going through the same. They're trying to piece together three, four identities that doesn't match up. There's no easy way. And I think something I wish that was different. Actually, yeah, something I wish that was different is if there was more dialogue. Like, I mean, of course. To your parents. Yeah. Between parents and children, mm. not. I mean, okay, of course, right. I talk to all my friends, like my siblings and yeah. friends who are also TC kids and missionary kids about it. But you know, like it's different if you talk to an adult because they have inputs and advice that is so much more wiser and so much yeah. richer than like a fellow six-year-old, seven-year-old can suggest. You know. Yeah. But I think a lot of mm-hmm. time parents want to appear strong and don't want to appear vulnerable because your kids are, they know the kids are struggling too. But then I think showing that vulnerability will just make it just easier for everyone. I mean, that's even important in, in normal families that have like family roots. How much more for you guys where you seem to be here one day and then you're out of that place the next day? So maybe being more vulnerable, that's, that's really good. I don't think you can even we can even call you Korean anymore. You should be Korean African or, <laughs> or something to that effect. And speaking of which, have you been given a Syrian name? No, I just have an English name because I was born in England. It's oh my Joshua. goodness! It's Suhan Joshua So when I go, everyone that knows me from Europe and um, West Africa yeah. call me Joshua, and then uh, people who know me from like Asia and America know me as Su. So. I can always tell where I met someone based on what they call me. If they call me Joshua, I'm like, okay, you're either you know. from the African countries I met you or Europe. But if they call me Sue, I'm like, you're America. But if they call me Suhan, it's like, okay, Korea. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Well, I've called you Joshua all along. Well, I'll start calling you Joshua for now, from now on then. <laughs> and I'll... How often do you go back to Syria? And when are you going back? Um, I'm going back in December. I try to go once a year, at least. Because my parents live there still, and I really miss it. Like, oh, there isn't, like, there aren't that many Sierra Leone foods around. But, like, I don't know how to make cassava leaf. I don't know how to make, like, serve. I can make jollof rice, fine, but jollof rice is good. <laughs> I cannot make for the life of a cassava leaf, which is, like, the main dish over there, and I miss it. Yeah. So, like, really? I I I do I couldn't I couldn't adjust my taste but uh, but I like there was this onion soup that, that I had in Sierra Leone. It was made of onions. Oh my goodness! And it had eggs in it. I really really love that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, all their food are basically stew. Like I yeah. I love comfortable in America, but yeah. like to me it's just very like unrealistic, you know, like. Half most the rest of most of the world doesn't live like this, you know. And I feel because I'm like I'm living very comfortable here. I have my computer. I have like this and that, and this and I'm like, oh, this is not reality now. But reality for now, I have to just accept it because there's no way I can get through school without a computer. <laughs> no, no. Imagine now, but back home it wasn't like a priority, like. 
there are other ways we could get through school. A computer was needed, but it wasn't like, oh, you had to have that. Oh, oh. In elementary school, we practice on typewriters. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no. Um, yeah, you know, it's not like Nigeria. We don't have, you know, Nigeria is like, you know, like, you know, people in like Liberia and Sierra Leone, we joke about like, oh, let's talk about the rich countries of Africa, Ghana, Nigeria, and Senegal. You guys think Nigeria is rich? So the the rest of so other West African countries you guys are and then you go to Senegal or Ghana and they're like let's talk about South Africa and like these countries oh, and see, you go to this country no like let's talk about Ethiopia and Kenya and you go there and it's like oh let's talk about South Africa South Africa is like, oh let's talk about Europe it's like oh god stop now <laughs> Australia and then talk to me about like Nigeria or like Europe okay, it's all relative uh, oh, you guys actually have I mean like. Yeah, there's a lot of corruption. Most of the country does not live like, you know, the rich. But, you know, you at least have the rich. In Sierra Leone, yeah. what we, I mean, you're going to see corrupt politicians on Hill Station. Somewhere, we were still getting electricity cuts. And we were oh, still getting water rations. And I was like, wow, uh, 20 years and nothing has changed. I mean, now we get, like, 16 hours of in, of electricity over, like, four hours. But, you know, it's not 24. A lot of um, those flashlights where you'd like turn and grind for to recharge. Yep. And, oh, <laughs> it has to Just case. So like we have big flashlights that we recharge when electricity comes, but we also have others that we grind so that we can have enough energy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a very different life. But then it's weirdly what I what I'm comfortable with. I, I I understand that. Yeah, like to me, microwave food does not taste good. You know, especially in Texas or the southern state, they talk about barbecuing and those big grills. I'm like, uh-uh, if it's not over yeah. charcoal, if it's not grill, <laughs> it's like that charcoal taste. As oh, that my chicken. goodness. Oh, chicken oh, is the jello fries. fries. Oh, the yeah. jello fries. Oh, yeah. The, the part, yeah, yeah. You can the smoke, it, the smokiness, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Something missing. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I feel like there's more to you that we didn't explore. Cause I'm hearing this food that you did tell me about this your jollof rice, love. <laughs> anyway, you I don't like Nigerian food, rice. Have you had it? Hey, what's <laughs> like? Don't tell me the Ghanaian. Hey, hey, don't tell me the Ghanaian one. I like the actually. You know, have you heard of the Senegalese called chebia? Is actually, yeah. if you look at the history of jollof rice. The original. It's from the Wall of Tribe of Senegal. It's from the yeah, Tribe of Senegal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually love that one. But okay, it is their, it's their tribe, so I will give it to them. I won't call also, you a traitor. <laughs> okay, to be honest, like I grew up yeah. with Sierra Leone Jollof, right? And between Ghanaian and Nigerian Jollof, right? I cannot tell the difference. I'm like, ah. Hey! <laughs> like, don't get me started. When that whole business about Ghanaian Jollof or about hey! Nigerian Jollof, I'm like, this is just your hatred towards each other. This is nothing about the food now. Mahaji Masayo. Ah, Never. Are you kidding me? You cannot tell the difference? We need to send you back to Senegal or... Oh, Sierra Leone, Liberian, like Sierra Leone, but like I can tell that apart from Ghanaian and Nigeria, but between Ghanaian and Nigerian, I'm like, mm, they both taste good, a lot more. Breaking my heart. And now, yeah, I'm not from Nigeria or Ghana, so how would I know? Ah. <laughs> uh. Um, for starters, stop eating the Ghanaian one. Stop it. You know, you're not doing so much good for your health to be eating that. Focus on the Nigerian one. We, we just call it jollof rice. It's so good. We don't even call it Nigerian jollof. We just call it jollof rice. Okay? Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> anyway, it's okay. We'll, we'll forgive you. I'll forgive you for this. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, uh, that broke my heart. That, uh, no, but I'm a big foodie. I love to cook. I like, I I just love food. So like, no, I don't eat everything. I don't eat the same thing every day. Like, you can ask my oh, friends. Really? Lunch, I have Mediterranean food because I went to a Lebanese school growing up. So like, I have to have like shawarma or like Lebanese dakta and like during lunch, and the evening one night is Korean, the other night is French, the other night is like. Af- other African food, like it switches, or else I'll go crazy because I'm like, I cannot have one oh. type of food. 
so like I, I hate it when I go visit like friends or family because they just took one type of meal. I'm like, ah,、uh-uh, ah, no, we have to go out. Ah, <laughs>、uh, you sound you sound like an Africa writer. Ah.、Uh-uh. <laughs> I beg, speak Amiku here within the top. What do you want to talk about now? Oh my goodness, stop it! <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I, I think it's the same feeling people have when they hear me speak Korean. Because it, it, it's, just, it's just weird. But keep speaking, keep speaking, let me keep hearing. Oh my goodness. Oh I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Wow, wow, wow. Wow! I'm shocked. <laughs> wow, this is my brother. So, like, I, I picked up the Creole that they speak in Freetown. He picked up the village Creole. How does that sound? It's a lot more rough and, like, Oh, it's like the Satori, like, you know, Busan, Kyosakdo, and Gyeonggi-do, like, da, different da, dialects. Da. And、uh, just, like, the, I think the Sierra Leone. The Freetown, Freetown Creole has, it's a more formal. It has, a, it has a lot more English in it. So it's like, they consider it more proper.、Uh, But Creole, my brother speaks, is like village Creole, like half of the time. <laughs> I, okay, what are you saying now? I don't understand. <laughs> And it just comes with me, I'm like, no. So this is why I stay in the village. <laughs> oh my goodness, oh my goodness. What a, what a, I mean, you guys are just amazing. That, that's, that's really, really amazing. And ethnically Korean, but you're Africans now for all intents and purposes. <laughs> but I, th- I think you're going to do amazing.、Yeah. It's, it's such a. I mean, you're very spectacular. You're very, very spectacular. And just hearing you talk about things you're passionate about, I'm very hopeful, very, very hopeful for the future for us all and for more people like you as well. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> How did you end up in Oklahoma?、Uh, long story.、Um, so, well, I got my PhD degree from UT Austin. I'm a pharmacist and、oh. I went back to grad school. Yeah, I'm a pharmacist.、Um, worked for a while and decided I needed to go back to school because I, I was kind of frustrated in a way. So, I went back to grad school, got my PhD, and now I work in. Um, Oklahoma is an assistant professor in the College of Pharmacy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought you were like a sociology major or like a sociologist、I、doing、know. research in the beginning. I'm a science researcher. Like, I, I, do, I work with lupus patients, I also work d o cancer research. And I look at health disparities, health economics, and things like that. Yeah, that's what I do. That's really impressive. And you're learning Korean at the same time. I'm learning Korean, and I have a huge heart for Korea, especially you know, North Korea and South Korea.、Um, so I've taken a lot of classes on you know, the economic development, the political unrest, and just you know, the two different Koreas and just what it might take to you know, unite and things like that. I think I might end up being a missionary there. I don't know what capacity, but I kind of see God using me like, you know, there. And,、um, And so, right now, I work with college students that come here or exchange students from Korea. And there's such a huge connection there because when they come here, sometimes they're very isolated and keep to themselves. So, me being part of that group, it's like an international organization for foreign students. So, I deal with the Korean students, and it's really been going well. And they're very welcoming, and I try to teach them the word of God and things like that. So, I don't know what capacity God is going to use it for. No,、so、that's awesome. And having a pharmacy degree and having that skill will really help you because, you know, like Korea is obsessed with the STEM degree. Like, it really. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. Korea、like, obsessed with so many things. t h e r e me and they used to be like, what is that boy from Africa doing here? Everyone's just like, go to the medical school. I want to hang out. How are you? I'm like, oh, God, stop now. I know you're acting. <laughs> 
Those because you don't want to make a lot of money. I'm like, yeah. something never change over culture. Is once they think you'll be successful, everybody tries to be friends with you. Mm-mm. Every culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my my plan is to end up in Korea in that capacity, maybe through research, but also my missionary work. Oh, Try wow. connecting with young people, young people that feel lost, young people that feel like, you know, because I don't have this and that, I don't feel, you know, um, I don't feel okay because I don't have all the things that I need. And I see those nuances a lot with my Korean friends because they tend to compare themselves with people a lot. Yeah. Comparing themselves with other yeah. people a lot, you know. It's a big It is. What kind of schools you go to determines, you know, so many things you get in life and just that culture of unhealthy competition that can drive you to just feel worthless and things like that. So I just want to, I think that's one of the things I, I really picked on that I would like to, in a way, um, focus on if I if given the chance but as always I'm always open to wherever God directs me I just want to you know be that vessel that he can use whenever that time comes oh that's awesome <laughs> thank you thank you excited I am I can't wait to go back and tell Adrian you were right he's so cool he's so cool, he's so cool. cause she she was like hmm there's somebody I, I, cause she's told me about you but you know we just I just didn't follow up. That was like two years ago when I first met her. It's like, you remind me of somebody, remind me of somebody. And she's like, hmm, there's somebody I have to introduce it to you. And I'm like, who? It's like, trust me, you're going to connect one. Then she's like, no, I'm going to send a message right now. And then she did it. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, awesome. Thank All right. you. All right. Ciao, ciao. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm done with all of my questions and if you don't have anything to say I still want to say thank you again and was it interesting? you're welcome it was my pleasure I enjoyed it well everyone that was the merciful podcast and I just spent a lengthy period of time talking to Joshua I'm going to be calling him Joshua now if you enjoyed the content from today's episode, leave me a comment and I look forward to hearing back from you guys and see you on the next episode of the More Simple Podcast. I'm going to close us off with one of Joshua's favorite songs, Oliver Twist by the band. Enjoy! Bye! Genevieve. I think that she's so sweet. And now you're worried. Cause you know the drink.